Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Aaron. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com, and you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Flashback Friday. We are hitting you with one of our favorite documentaries, two of our favorite documentary makers, and a topic that is so topical. It's a trifecta today. It's uh, the ladies of RBG, Julie Cohen and Betsy West. They not only that. not only do we immediately bond on this interview, they love the name of our podcast, right. obviously. <laughs> Duh. Uh, and we've bumped into them at other times. We saw Julie Cohen at the Planned Parenthood party at Sundance last year. And yeah. the first thing she said to us yeah. was, my bitches. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel was, like she it yelled it across like the floor across of the, the, room. the brunch. Well, and we were and we were also like hesitant to go up to her because she was talking to someone and, you know, she's in the middle of this event and she yelled at it. She immediately remembered us. So that was yeah. so cool. Yeah. It was just super down to earth and really talented and so much fun. So uh, enjoy this interview, hopefully as much as we did. And don't forget to watch RBG streaming everywhere. You can find it on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Find it, watch it. And vote in November because uh, our Supreme Court needs you. We have uh, Julie Cohen and Betsy West. They are the directors of RBG. Uh, probably my favorite documentary of the year. Yeah, so far. Right. It was yeah. Academy <laughs> Awards. I, I hear it now. I hear it. We've been watching a lot of films yes. lately. And, and, you know, some of them will kind of bring you down. And some will, and I was like, wait till you see RBG. Just yeah, wait. Because I saw it before me. her. And I was like, just wait and we'll talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about access first. How did this all come together for both of you? Well, um, both of <laughs> us had interviewed Justice Ginsburg for other projects. Uh, in 2011, I was doing a, a big series about the women's movement called Makers. Yes. And um, for that. which I interviewed Justice Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. And then and Julie worked on that project with me. And then in 2013, she interviewed Justice Ginsburg for her documentary, Sturgeon Queens. Mm -hmm. So that was before her internet notoriety, before she became Notorious RBG. Yeah, before she became a rock star. She always exactly. was a rock star, but just not on the widespread no, level. Nobody right. really, no one knew the same way. So in 2015, we were talking about the phenomenon mm -hmm. of Notorious RBG and realized that many of her fans didn't really know the full story. Mm -hmm. and Including me for sure and yeah. I, I know her and I, I've always loved her but yeah, yeah I learned so much about her that's what we were thinking mm -hmm. here's a great opportunity for a documentary and gee we make documentaries <laughs> maybe that would be something we could do so that's when we thought of it and then Julie can tell you how we approached her so we spent some time strategizing wrote an email to the justice laying out our, our thought that we wanted to make a film about her life um, and she sent us back a response pretty quickly that essentially said, not yet. Um, okay. We know that the justice is a woman who <laughs> chooses her words carefully, and we looked over her email carefully, and we noticed two words that weren't in it were no or never. Right, um, right, right. And yes. so that seemed to us, I mean, after a little bit of discouragement, discouragement, let's face it, it yeah. was not like we were like, oh, great, we've pushed forward. Right. But, we, you know, after like letting it sit for a couple weeks, we started to strategize like, okay, what do we do next? And we turned around, we, you know, a few months, we 
talked to some people that more knew research. her, did a little more research, and went back to her a few months later with uh, a request in which we said we don't need to do a sit-down interview with you right away, but like we were thinking we might proceed, and here's a list of people that we had in mind that we might like to speak to, and she responded to that one saying, well, I won't be ready to do an interview with you for another two years. Uh, two, but two years, two years, this is 2015. Summer. Uh, wow. But here are three other people you might want to add to your list of interview subjects. Hmm. So sounded like she understood the concept of us proceeding with the documentary, even if she wasn't going to talk to us quite yet. Yeah, it just felt like okay, she's interested, mm-hmm. and um, so we went that, at that point. That's when we went forward, which it's, was a little risky because we right, didn't because really. Two years. You didn't know if you would ever, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a, a lot long, can change in two years. Too. A lot right. can change, and it seemed like a long way away, but um, it it also seemed like an extraordinary opportunity that she's such an important person mm-hmm. and that she was opening the door a bit, and we were going to just push it through and, and try and do this. Yeah, it was just a risk worth taking. Yeah. Wow, I, I really love that you approached it in that way, though, because you learned so much about her from interviewing all these mm-hmm. people from different levels of her life. So by the time you got the sit-down interview with her, I'm sure you had so much more insight, and you were able to really dig into her life. Well, totally. You really you really nailed it because it turned out that two years was a good idea. And not only had we talked to all those people, but we had structured the film. We mm-hmm. had a rough cut, mm-hmm. and we really knew what we needed to ask her about. I mean, mm-hmm. we'd filmed her at a lot of events talking about various things, but there were certain areas that we wanted to to go into and it helped to have the film put together. So I guess Justice Ginsburg knows how to produce she a documentary. Clearly <laughs> she knows what she's doing in every level. Everything of that she does. <laughs> yeah. Right. She's perfect. Come Even on. things she's <laughs> never done before, she somehow knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and going back to access on her um, list of people to talk to, Bill Clinton and Gloria Steinem, it was just like, oh, here's the list of people and you just went out and interviewed them or... <laughs> Not quite again, that. You know. Again, each each person requires a fair amount of strategizing, mm-hmm. figuring out somebody that knows them that the the request can really get in front of the person's eyes, which right. isn't that easy when no. someone's very prominent. And then figuring out what request we're going to make and how to how to best articulate why we want to talk to that person and keeping uh, you know respecting their time and knowing that we're going to have a limited time with them. You know, you get put off and put off and put off but you have to just uh, without being annoying find a way <laughs> too annoying, to, to, to annoying <laughs> find a way to be persistent finally they'll they said yes and i think the other thing is that look it's it's a film about justice ruth bader ginsburg and um who wouldn't want to be in a film about her i think right. that um G- gloria steinem considers her to be uh, a superhero, as she says in mm-hmm. the film, and someone who hasn't gotten the kind of recognition that Gloria Steinem has gotten, and, and she knows that. she They have a great relationship, and they really respect each other, so I think she'd want to be in this. Bill Clinton, I think, is very proud of the legacy of having nominated her, so mm-hmm. I think people wanted to be associated with uh, Justice Ginsburg. Yeah, just ju- gentle nudges yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. for a little bit. And just go, just not giving up. We, we yeah. weren't 
we were, we didn't do a lot of giving up in this project. I mean, you know, it's complicated because when when someone says no, like then you can give up, but when you don't get a response yet, or someone's like not yet, or mm-hmm. someone's like well maybe, then mm-hmm. you know we just kind of kept pushing and pushing and chipping away until we wore people down and you had to you had to channel your inner rbg exactly to get it done. yeah well exactly <laughs> she does not give up not not given as up. long as they're not wearing their descent collar you still have it in right <laughs> <laughs> the collars i was gonna say can we talk about the collars oh. and you didn't and maybe she didn't want to but the gloves with yeah. every outfit she had these yeah. beautiful well, you know you see that you see the gloves we didn't ever she doesn't i don't think she keeps her glove collection actually we did we did talk about the home closet when whether we could go there which mm. is where i assume the gloves are mm-hmm. and that was not a place that they wanted us uh filming they okay. were like yeah. no, how about the the jabo or collar collection that's that's in the supreme court mm-hmm. so Yes, the, fa- the fashion caught our eye as well. Some of those gloves, like the purple yeah. net gloves, are, you know, it's fantastic. Let's yeah. Face it. it's, 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 for me, it's like very 80s. Like, to, just thinking of like Madonna used to wear those gloves. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> RBG is wearing these now in her 80s. She's, She's so very stylish. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, she always has very cool earrings that complement the outfit. And she knows how to wear a scarf. I mean, I have no idea how to wear a scarf. A scarf, I put a scarf on, and it's falling off my shoulder. It's such a mess. She wears beautiful scarves, and they seem to just stay in place. Um, It's extraordinary. The shoes. Yeah. The shoes. Well, yeah, she went to Sundance to see the film. Oh, she did. Oh, and she was like a rock star at Sundance, right? She was. She was just working the room. Yeah. Yeah, and we can talk about that. I mentioned it because, you know, there was snow on the ground, but she was wearing these fabulous little <laughs> flats these le- oh. <laughs> she didn't have her boots on yeah she she looked great anyway Sundance was extraordinary and she was a rock star there <laughs> well well I love um, throughout the film you have this visual of when she first enters the Supreme Court she was just a little bit left of center but as as it progressed she had to become this sort of like dissenting queen but she really didn't start out that way right right well of course you know this is all it's all in the context of who the other justices are around you Mm -hmm. so as new appointees came from george w bush and as the court moved to the right um she relatively seemed more to the left absolutely when she came into the court she was viewed as more of a centrist, more of a consensus builder, um, mm-hmm. although one appointed by a Democrat and with certain mm-hmm. established liberal viewpoints. Um, as she says herself in the film, like, look, I don't want to be writing dissents. Right. I, right. I, I, I mean, like any justice, I want to write majority opinions. I want to lay out the law of the land. But if I'm put in the position, if necessary, I will speak out in dissent. And that's mm-hmm. what she's become so, so well known for. Well, and she hasn't, she had to go further left, but she never changed her ideals. It's just her ideals became more extremist. And that's like the people that disagree with her are, are calling her this, this evil woman. Yeah. And, and it really, that's, that's not at all her emphasis. And she mm-hmm. says how her mother told her to never, oh God, what was the quote? It's um, never, respond never in anger. Mm-hmm. That would be self-defeating. Yeah. I love that she says that. Yeah. No, and that is her whole philosophy of life. Uh, never in anger. When she faced challenges all along the way, she thought about, well, how can I approach this in a way that's going to be effective? 
how am I going to convince nine male justices that discrimination does in fact exist, that it hurts women and it hurts men, and that it's unconstitutional? Uh, she mm -hmm. figured out very strategically how to do that at the same time that they're making these sexist comments that you can hear <laughs> mm -hmm. on the uh, uh, audio uh, tapes. On the oh. And you do wonder, you know, here she is making this very serious, well thought so out, eloquent. Const eloquent constitutional argument, and they're making little jokes at her expense. How do you not get angry about that? Her approach was look, they're children. I'm the kindergarten teacher. I have a job to do here. Yeah, I love that. You know, what's the point of getting angry at these men? They don't get it. And mm -hmm. and and I think yes. that is her approach. It's an important lesson that we could all I, I, I definitely I, took no, from I that. No, I did too. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. Very much so. Her her way of just explaining her point of view and being very present and focused. Um, yeah, I have I have a lot to learn. Yeah, well, and I think that <laughs> explains her longevity. Does. Yeah. That's yeah. how she could last in this role for so long i mean we would have scratched oh. our hair out and gotten yeah, in no. fights long yeah. before <laughs> yeah. it would have been ugly she's yeah. she is a an optimist in a way she keeps Absolutely. pushing forward if you, if she talks about tough times now she'll say but think how bad it was before hmm. which is and true. we have made progress and she she keeps looking forward that's inspiring Mm -hmm. She likes to quote, uh, you know, there's a Martin Luther King line about the arc of history is, is long, but it bends towards justice. And, you know, it's just pull way back, take a look at things over time. Like there's a lot of forward motion, which I think is a really helpful way to, to look at things. If you're getting kind of pushed back in little steps all the time, you can get totally defeated by each battle or you can say wait look at the long view like I'm steaming ahead I'm making some progress she on a personal level both with her own career and as a legal advocate really created a huge body of law that's all about progress and equality for the for the two genders and she can then look at that and feel good about it and use it almost as an armor when things aren't going well. Mm -hmm. And I love that she's embracing who she is now. Like, I, you can see it throughout her history, but even more so now and and being the notorious RBG. Mm -hmm. and it's really, it's I don't know, it's, it is inspiring. All of it is inspiring. Yeah, she, she's like, yeah, I know the notorious B.I.G. Yeah. We're both raised in the Bronx, you know, or, or is it Brooklyn? Brooklyn. We're both raised in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. She, she's had she's fun. with it. She's had fun with it. I think, you know, her granddaughter said she was a little confused at the beginning because <laughs> you can imagine that oh. she probably doesn't. Yeah spend a lot of time on social media <laughs> or listening to rap or listening music. to yeah <laughs> um but once she understood uh how powerful it was and how she was connecting to a younger generation mm -hmm. i think she's seen it as an opportunity mm -hmm. and part of the love for her was actually i mean yes we joke about the memes and all the, the tattoos and the craziness but like <laughs> a lot of the love from her among the young left has to do with the substance of her arguments people mm -hmm. her her speaking out making a dissent that is really understandable to non-lawyers where she has a great line like she says about the voting rights protections being lifted after years of being affected effective she says you know it's like putting down your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet right a great line oh, so, line that uh, cuts right to the heart mm -hmm. of what the problem 
is, you know, in her view of what the court was doing. And that really struck a nerve with people. But like, think about what was happening. People are going on the Internet, getting really excited about a legal concept and the way it's being and it being expressed in a clear way like it's she's just like engaging the public mm -hmm. in the whole civic process it's kind of just what should happen in a democracy so mm -hmm. you can think of it as you know on one level it is a joke but on the other level it's actually there's something kind of beautiful about that mm -hmm. yeah i mean it is for many young people the first time that they understood mm -hmm. what the supreme court means to their lives and how it right. affects people's lives mm -hmm or even knew who a, a Supreme Court justice was, right. one yeah. of them, can name one of them. Yeah. Right. Oh, another really powerful part of the film for me that I, that I took a lot from was her relationship with Justice Scalia. Yes. I loved. <laughs> so surprising. Yeah, that they're just both on completely separate ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. and butt heads on basically every topic imaginable, mm -hmm. but they were really great friends and they would go to the opera together and this just motley. They had a really cute relationship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people... A lot of people don't believe it. They think, oh, oh you know, they were, yeah, sorry. it was just <laughs> fake news. Well, oh, fake sorry. friendship or just, you know, a yeah, PR uh, Oh, just sort of a PR <laughs> thing. But in fact, they were very close personal friends. And uh, I think you see it in the interchanges mm -hmm. that had been recorded. We didn't, Justice Scalia had passed away before mm -hmm. we started filming this, but we did talk to his son, yeah. uh, who was very moving, talking about the closeness of their relationship despite their philosophical differences. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, they kind of seem like brother and sister. Like at one yeah. point he's making her laugh and she's like, oh, you know, yeah. shooing him away. And it's really cute. And it, it just kind of shows we don't have to write each other off. There is a connection that we all still have regardless of your views. Absolutely. And there is a way to really respect someone else's positions even if you intensely disagree with them <laughs> both of them argued that the other's argument made their thinking sharper a very nice way to to think of uh, that level of disagreement and then you put it all aside and go to the opera Mm -hmm. together I mean or or you know put on your crazy wigs and perform in an opera I together mean, that right? was <laughs> you know so or right. climb up onto the top of an elephant I was yeah I wasn't ready for any of that it was really it was great it was enlightening um I do want to talk about uh your all-female production stuff that was fantastic to see can you speak to that both of you yeah, I, at the beginning, we really wanted to find a female cinematographer mm -hmm. uh, because we just felt it was appropriate doing a story about Justice Ginsburg. Um, and so we were very lucky to be able to work with the great Claudia Rashke, who we had heard about, and she was fantastic. So that was kind of the beginning. And then uh, when it came to finding an editor about six months into the process, uh, we actually did talk to a few men, but we were thinking at that point, hey, wouldn't it be nice to work with a woman? And then we met Carla Gutierrez, who is such a talented editor. We were so lucky to be able to work with her. And then our composer, Miriam Cutler. Yeah. So it just kind of kept going. It was it was really wonderful experience. And then we had the great good fortune for our film to be picked up by CNN Films, where the three executives working on it were women also. So it just, you know, we just had hmm. this uh, yeah. team, team of ladies. It's not that there were no men who worked with us in some of the um, secondary positions oh, yeah. in our there, crews. There, there are were men, guys. Yes. There are but some like, names. But the, but <laughs> Don't the lady, worry, man. You're but represented. The ladies, <laughs> the ladies were the bosses. And I think a big lesson to, to take from that, even 
even the situation where you're working in crews where the women are bosses and and men are in in the less senior positions it's like it was fine like the world doesn't come to an end a man can have a woman tell him what to do and respond to it easily and with grace like it would like we we never we never had any kind of gender problem during you know i like like no humans were harmed during the making of this <laughs> no, film. Men, no, like, no men were harmed like it, yeah. no men were harmed like there, it was fine yeah. we all got like it's like you know i mean we I, I don't know is it a coincidence that like the whole film came together and the whole process on a personal level was super smooth is that a coincidence between that and us being women maybe Gee, maybe not i don't know but, like, <laughs> you know it just like yeah. Seemed like it worked. It did. And, um, you know, at Sundance, when we called up the whole crew, many of them were there. And oh, it was great. just a lineup of women. And then at the very end, Peter Nickel, who was our second camera in uh, Washington, <laughs> was brave enough to get up there. And he got quite a big yes, applause. Special, <laughs> special applause for Peter. But, yeah. Um, I know I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about her relationship with Marty and that, um, it just, yeah, I, I'm going to get all, because too. it was it, so, it was so beautiful how he gave her the space to be this powerful, beautiful, strong woman. And she talks about going to, um, going to law school and being one mm -hmm. of five women in a class of 500 men and she would date, you know, date around, but never have a, se a second date with anyone until mm -hmm. she met him because he was the only one that he, he didn't have that the she ego. Had a brain. Yeah. 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 They had and actually met, they met in college. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that, that was the case that, uh, you know, his first instinct was, wow, she's really beautiful. Yeah. And the second was, and she's super smart. Yeah. And he loved that about her. Mm -hmm. And he did give her, as you said, the space to be on the law review at Harvard. He was so proud of her. And then it just went on from there where he, you know, it's a feminist love story mm -hmm. long before many other <laughs> feminist love stories. And, and it's unusual even by today's standards, mm -hmm. I think. And I love that he was calling in all his favors for her. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. He, well, was, he was her publicist, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Her lobbyist, or definitely yes. her, her lobbyist to have her considered uh, for the Supreme Court yeah. appointment that came up for President Clinton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make sure that his wife, who he admired so much and thought deserved to be on the Supreme Court, he wanted to make sure that at the very least she was considered. Yeah. You know, it's a, such a cliche almost of successful men that they have a supportive wife who's <laughs> taking care of a lot of business behind the scenes. Right. And this is just turning that story on its head. It's just that it's unusual to have a man that's willing to do that, even today, mm -hmm. but like the 1950s, like it's right. it's, it's incredible right. that you're going to have a man that really respects a woman and all of the potential that she had. And even in law school is thinking, oh, you're like, yep, she's going to be on law review. He just, he just saw it. Like he, he, he saw who she was and part of his ambition was to help make her be everything that she could be. And like, that's, you know. It's I, a, know. Uh, I know. Start <laughs> crying. I know. Let's start that's, crying for Marty. Well, it's, it's a powerful story yeah. of having a really supportive partner. And he was. Yeah. Yeah. Till the end. Um, can we talk about her work ethic? And yeah. working until 
four or five in the morning and then does she still sleep on weekends that's when she she does up. we actually filmed uh her in her apartment uh on a a june saturday we arrived in the early afternoon and we're under the very strong impression that she had just gotten her, up her granddaughter opened the door and they were still <laughs> they, bringing they, her coffee yeah yeah, like, <laughs> yeah she came down need some coffee yeah she she sleeps late i mean look she has a different clock yes than a lot of people do obviously it works for her somehow i yeah. never <laughs> she she works late into the night i mean we certainly witnessed it in evening events uh where we were filming where she was very happy to go out to dinner at 9 30 or 10 o'clock oh, at God. night she she's a night owl yeah she's a night owl she works extremely hard but she also has a big appetite for travel and culture and doesn't want to miss things going on uh, in the world so she just you know she's just has an engagement with life and a <laughs> determination to go out there and do things um, that's kind of beyond what what most people yes. how most people behave you tell about the mo- 85 tell about yes. the movies that she'd recently seen uh, it's yeah, so, so funny at, at Sundance um, <laughs> Nina Totenberg did uh, who's that the NPR legal correspondent who's also been oh, a, right. a, a, n- yeah. known Justice Ginsburg quite well for uh, more than 40 years at this point um, was doing a, an interview with her about life and because they were at Sundance she was like oh you know tell me some of your favorite recent movies and Justice Ginsburg was like, well, you know, in the past couple weeks, I've seen, and she's like three bill, b- billboards, um, East oh, of, West of, yeah, yeah. Missouri, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Call Me By Your Name. Oh, like wow. The indie, yes. uh, yeah. gay yeah. Italian love story yeah. from the 80s. And like, you know, so she's going out there seeing like, but you know, by certainly commercial standards, like fairly small independent movies and mm-hmm. really has something to say about them. She's, you know, she's at Arena Stage all the time. She's at the Shakespeare Theater all the time. She goes to the opera. Like, I don't think she misses a single opera at the Washington National Opera. She That's has FOMO. She, to, wow. she yeah, has fear she of has, missing she out. Yeah, totally has FOMO. <laughs> she has do you think so? FOMO. Yes. RBG has FOMO. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah she did, uh, certainly wow. on a cultural front, and, she, she doesn't yeah. want to miss anything. And especially with opera. I mean, of all the arts. That's that, the love. Yeah, that is the love. And she is such a knowledgeable opera fan. And we'll talk to you in depth about operas where sometimes you really can't quite follow what it is <laughs> she's talking about. I mean, her level of understanding the performances and, you know, everything about the opera is extraordinary. Right. Well, it looks like our time <sighs> is wrapping up, but I yeah. want to thank you, Julie and Betsy, for making this film and waiting two years. <laughs> it was the worth the wait. The timing better. was really and, uh, Can great. I just say that you guys aren't bitchy at all? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you caught us on a good day. Yeah. Well, and this one made us really happy. We were ready. We were waiting for bitches. We were like, oh, oh they're going to be bitchy. No, 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 no. Maybe if we go grab a drink after this, we'll bitch to you guys. But no, no. Thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Thank, Thank you. you. That was uh, directors Betsy West and Julie Cohen of the film RBG. They are lovely ladies. They asked to take a selfie with us. The first time ever. Yeah, I think that yeah. that someone has asked us to take. Yeah, a instead of us them. asking them. Yeah, and they posted it right away. Yeah, they posted, they posted the it right picture. away, and it got a lot of traction. We got a lot of followers on uh, the Twitter. They were hilarious, and I remember, wasn't it after the interview? They were like, "That wasn't bitchy at all." Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people misinterpret. Yeah, like when I've asked 
guys like, oh, you should be on Bitch Talk. They're like, oh, you allow men? You know, it's it, people misinterpret it. Yes. Which is fine. Yeah. They can ask and listen and then realize. Yeah. Maybe I should be on that show. But we had nothing to bitch about with RBG. That's no. The, that's the thing. There's nothing to bitch about. There's just things to learn. And Ange and I are trying to really center in on our RBG. Actually, you've been saying that a lot often. I'm trying to RBG this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of freak out, just choose my words wisely. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. She was a no small talk kind of gal. I I appreciate that. And um, when she has to argue her points, she's very thoughtful. And she did say something to the effect of when when she had to argue her points, especially in the Supreme Court and some of her cases, she just <laughs> treated the judges like they were five year olds and that they didn't know what they didn't know what they were talking about and they didn't understand the concept or whatever that she's arguing. So that's the way that she would frame her arguments. Yeah, like a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. just you're teaching A through Z. So I, I get it and I appreciate her. I really hope she just Hold on. Keep on ticking, please. Hold on for just another few years, RBG. And keep wearing those really cool gloves. And when you see her workout regimen, I mean, I'm not worried about her at all. True. I'm worried about myself. (laughs) She's a lot healthier than we are. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, see the documentary. She's a workhorse. Like, She is not stiff and tired. She's not stiff and tired. (laughs) Erin's trying to say we're stiff and tired, but she's not stiff and tired. Um, But go support RBG. I really think that this film's going to get some nominations when it comes to Academy time. So just remember you heard it first here at Bitch Talk Podcast, and we'll see you soon. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.